Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today is our 2022 Best of Practice Management Conversations. These are, again, some of the top downloaded episodes from 2022. And they're going to focus on three snippets from three conversations I had with first, Dr. Aaron Neufeld. Second was with Dr. Mike Rothschild. And the third is with Morgan Massey. Please enjoy our conversations. If you would like to hear the entire episode or download the entire episode, we'll put that episode in today's show notes. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. So today I want to talk about the Mind A Multifocal for just a second. It has been a really great thing in our practice for our patients who are presbyopes of all areas, but you know those tricky presbyopes are always the ones that are kind of emerging where they don't want to give up any of their faraway vision, but they're having some struggles up close. And so what uh, the Mind A Multifocal has been able to do for us is to allow those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. And then as we have those patients progress into other levels where they need more ad powers, it's been a nice, smooth transition. So the ultimate hurdle that we've seen in our practice before the My Day Multifocal was that we'd have patients who would resist any transition to a multifocal lens because of that distance blur. We just haven't seen that. So if you haven't started using My Day Multifocal in your practice, I would encourage you to start, check it out, uh, contact, reach out to your Cooper reps for those trial lenses uh, and commit to My Day Multifocal for your patients. I think they're going to like it. If you haven't checked out MacuHealth yet for your patients in Category 1 through Category 4, I think there's a lot of evidence that you should be considering. The first is if we just look at AREDS 2 and what they, they talk about, MacuHealth is a, so for patients in Category 3 and Category 4 um, AMD, MacuHealth is a great option for them that follows that entire, um, that entire protocol, and it also adds mesozeaxanthine to the mix, which if you look at some of the evidence, I believe shows me that it's going to thicken the macular pigment better than without mesozeaxanthine. It also uses the a correct AREDS2 dose of zinc uh, at 25 milligrams, and so you don't have to worry so much about the potential side effects of zinc. The other thing to, to think about, and it's beyond the scope of this, although you've probably heard me talk on other podcasts, is that in patients in category one and two, there may be some additional benefit uh, to supplementing them with something that may be a little bit less than the AREDS2, so you don't have to add as much to it. And that's where I use the MacuHealth LMZ3. And so I think if you haven't done this yet, I'd consider MacuHealth in your practice and for your patients. And it's been great for my patients, and, um, and we really feel like we have the ability to uh, help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. My financial counseling was, hey, we got a financial package for you and here's your loan. And I love my school, by the way. Uh, but, but what are they doing now? Is it different at private schools? Yeah. I mean, it's a, mine was a fraction of what they're, they're spending now. So what kind of financial guidance do they have in school? You know, from what I've heard, um, I graduated in 2015, so it's been a few years since I've been out. But from what I've heard, it's it's pretty similar to when I was in school. Uh, I remember first day of school, um, first year, they gave us the uh, whole cheeseburger talk where, you know, a cheeseburger you purchased today is going to be worth three times zero, as much or in the future because right you're using an student loans. And um, <laughs> that was as far as they basically yeah. got. That's as, <laughs> we don't know. It could be three times. Exactly. Or or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was pretty much all we got. And then, 
Yep. And then they're like, yeah. yeah. And then they're just like, okay, time to take out your student loans. <laughs> good luck. So that was pretty much it. And then, you know, we had a good practice management class, but yeah, that was pretty much it. And really our goal is to, I mean, we're, we're starting to reach out to schools a lot more now. Um, we've extended our book out to quite a few schools, have it in the bookstore now. And we're just trying to do lectures, just trying to get the word out. And it doesn't need to be us per se. I just, I just really hope that there is education that starts to build in each of these schools on finance. And I hope that it's coming from optometrists or optometry and not, you know, not bringing in these, uh, financial advisors that just want to acquire clients. Cause I know that does happen in schools, but that's a little bit different. Really just that solid foundational knowledge of how finance works. I, I just, yeah, think and it's I mean, that's when you can really affect the most change, right? There. Like, like in schools have so many things that they need to teach and they, they have to teach, you know, to make practitioners safe and provide, you know, and provide excellent care. And I think they do a wonderful job of that. Um, I think they do the best job that can be done for primary eye care. And when I mean, say primary eye care, I mean, you know, prescribing medications and managing lots of eye diseases. That's, I mean that I think that they do better than anybody, any other training program. Um, but you know, I do think there's, there's mm-hmm. gotta be something else because, uh, it doesn't, you know, if I can get this much money to live, uh, and it's all something I can push down the road, unless I'm really diligent, it's hard. And, and so those financial institutions are basically just awarding, you know, my, my sense is they're telling you, they're giving you the speech, but they're saying, yeah, and it's $50,000 a year, or $60,000 a year, $80,000 a year. Uh, but it's fine. Just don't eat, have the cheeseburger. It's like, come on. It's not the cheeseburger that's, that's blowing our budget here. You know, it's, it's just not, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the yeah. institution. And so I, I don't know right. a way around mm-hmm. that. What do you think about, I mean, what are mechanisms yeah. that, that will drive the cost of education down or allow us to figure out ways to make it, to make it more affordable so it doesn't stymie a profession? Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that's a good question that we've hit around quite a bit and I wish I had a better answer, but I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. And I think if someone does come up with the answer, they're going to be very successful as a policymaker. But, but yeah, I mean, we give some advice to students when they're in school to kind of keep expenses down. Obviously, the tuition, I, not much we can do about that, but just limiting equipment costs and equipment purchases, just limiting everything you do in school, trying to work if you can, but obviously don't let that affect your schooling and your learning. But yeah, all these things that you can reduce your debt while in school, it's actually kind of an overlooked concept, but it's important because that's how you're building that debt in the first place is by spending it those four years that you're in optometry school. So the more creative ways you can find to reduce that debt, you're going to be better off in the long run. So, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And I've heard that OD education is only going up. Um, I'm surprised to see how high it is from when I went to school. Cause I, I still don't, I still like to think of myself as young, being seven years out, and I it's it's astronomically different than yeah. when I was there. Well, I think like, I think we've seen too long ago. So. I mean, um, my my sense, just listening to you talk, is that every single student right now in school, anybody that's listening to this, has to has to at least connect with you and have a plan for what that debt's going to look like and how much that debt is going to be. Um, and I don't think they can trust their financial advisors at school. I, I, I will say that blatantly. I, I don't think it's because they have ill intent. It's because most of those financial advisors in most schools are not, um, they're, they're not looking out for the profession. They're not looking out for the long-term, you know, uh, um, interests of the patient. They're, they're looking out for 
we want you to feel comfortable with this amount of, of money that this school costs. And because of that, uh, then we're going to figure out a way for you to pay right. for that now. Um, but, and, and, and we're going to try to do some, have you do some other smart things, but you know, look, they're, they're and I don't blame the schools, but they're, they're not going to say, look, this is a really expensive decision and you're going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year with $500,000 of debt. That's not a very, a good, a smart financial decision. They're just not going to say that. Uh, so I think they need to, I think students really need to reach out to groups like yourself specifically um, for other guidance to say, not that is this a good investment? I think it is. I mean, if you make the right moves, it's a great investment. Um, but you have to be, I think the people who are making right moves are making most of those right moves throughout school. Mike, let's get to uh, get to what I need to think about when I'm thinking about a retreat. So there's a bunch of different types of retreats that you do. And last year you came and did one for our office. And the real thing that we were trying to do is kind of um, add to the cohesion after COVID coming out, trying to reinforce our, our team and what we're trying to do together. And we you kind of helped us build a, a plan for um, c- continuing communication as well as team building exercises that are organized and not organized by me. And that has been really great. And we've really stuck to a lot of those things, things like daily huddles, things like our team will go out and have drinks on their own or whatever they're going to do, hang out on their own together on a, on a monthly basis. Um, so this time, what I, what I asked you to do, or actually what you said, hey, Chris, what are you looking for in this next retreat this year? You, I said, you know, I, I want to reinforce that. I think that there's uh, these you know, the part of what makes us different as a practice is that we do invest in our people. We want to have a really good place to practice. We want to have a great culture. So I want to do that, of course. That's pretty open-ended. So you can elaborate on that if you want. But the other thing I wanted to do was kind of reevaluate our mission statement and our um, our core principles. So let's work through that a little bit in terms of our planning of this meeting. Absolutely. So I thought that what we would do first is um, is sort of recap, you know, exactly what we did last time, just like you were saying. So last year, as you remember, you know, any anytime someone um, hires a coach to come into their practice um, to have a retreat, a team building retreat or an organizational retreat, it's it's a relatively strong practice to begin with, because if you think about it, number one, it's the type of practice that invests in its people. Right. And so there's the habit of doing that. You usually just don't start out by doing something like this. And it also um, means there has to be some financial success to be able to uh, invest in something like this. So I think that it's really, really good. So typically we go into practices that have good systems in place and have some really good um, success, but want to elevate that level and want to sort of put things together. So bringing in an outsider, which is sort of our specialty look at things, sort of see where you are, decide where you want to go and make a path to do that. So that's sort of what we did last time. If you remember, we didn't have a a strict plan. Just wanted to sort of get a sense of what was happening, which is a great starting point. So what we did is we talked about the five zones of practice and we created a Venn diagram like we just imagined with the, we started this conversation and how they overlap. And we ask everybody in the practice to go up and and put their place on the system 
And then we created the cycle of patient care. Same thing. What is your role in this? And we sort of made a mess kind of of where everybody fits and sort of showing the chaotic nature of an eye care practice and how everybody is needed. Everybody is dependent on one another and we're all working together. So we sort of made a mess of the current system visually, flip charts and sticky notes and different color markers all over the place and sort of organized that into a sense where we could all sort of sit back and see the entire picture of everything that was going on. Then we said, what do we want to accomplish? What is it that we want to do? And where do we want to make improvement? It just so happened that it worked out that everybody on your team had responsibility for something to take care of. It doesn't always work out that way. Uh, and it wasn't a perfect fit, but as it started to come together, we realized, look, almost everybody has something. Some people are being left out, so let's make sure everybody has something that they're accountable for. You know, I get questions all the time about how do we use 9.2 codes and 9.9 codes and which ICD codes go with different CPT codes and what can be built together and what can't. And this confusion, this uncertainty really holds us back oftentimes to be able to do what we want to do, which is help our patients see clearly and provide their best opportunity for a lifelong vision. And so we built iCode Education for that specific purpose. Uh, we have lots of resources that are based in helping you understand disease states, helping you understand revenue cycles and billing and coding practices. So check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. And we have a specific uh, bundle there for you if you'd like to take advantage of it. It's the Premier Billing and Coding Bundle. We've got a 10% discount code just for listeners of this show. Uh, you can just, in the coupon code at checkout, you can enter in iCode Media 22. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A 22 at checkout. We'd love to have you. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. One of the challenging things with patients is when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and and customized lenses, it can be challenging to keep those lenses clean, keep them scratch free, smudge free. And so we now have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients the best in class anti-reflective coating in a way that is really high resistance so that they're not uh, having to care for their lenses as much as when those lenses are caring for them. So remember that you can provide patients that best in quality, best in class transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com slash Crizal. In your mind, is there like a time to have all those conversations? Like, does it have to be daily or weekly or in your experience with, with independent practices? Is it daily? Is it weekly? Uh, what are the, is it, does it need to be formal? You know, cause again, I'm trying to kind of solidify for those of us that don't do this well, or maybe do it well, but don't, aren't aware that we do it well. Cause I know that there's listeners of both types. Um, how much structure has to be involved in that? And, and when do we take those opportunities to have the conversations with people? Yeah, I think any moment that you have the opportunity to connect with your staff 
uh, the, the better that those are trust building opportunities, ways that you can build trust and rapport and connection relationship. Um, and that's the really the foundation of how well your leadership and coaching is going to be received overall. So my guidance would be, you know, how often are you connecting with your staff at all levels within your practice, right? Are you taking the time you need to just check in with them? How is your weekend going? How is everything going with your workload and whatnot? Because um, the more that you can have those more informal conversations, then when you have to tackle some of the more challenging coaching conversations, you have that baseline rapport and, and trust already established, right? So you asked about how frequently should we be having these coaching type conversations. Um, really, it's out, our, our thought is that coaching is outcomes based. So you don't walk into your office and say, I'm going to have five different conversations around setting expectations today and just do that because that's not going to resonate with everyone. Um, but the more that you're checking in organically with your staff members, you can get a sense of, are they doing the job well? Do they need some corrective action? Um, do they have some aspirations for where they want to go in the future, right? So you can um, take an outcomes-based approach on how frequently you need to have those conversations with them anyway. Do you think that there's something that um, that like leaders do that will make it harder to have a connection? Like, is there this thing that a lot of people will do that just puts a barrier between having an organic conversation with people that um, is hard to build trust around? Mm. You know, when I think about it, you know, I, I think one of the natural things that is challenging for me is my um, if I'm in clinic. I'm seeing patients and I'm in my clinic mode as opposed to my, I'm working in my business instead of on my business on those days that I am in my business working in my business. Yeah. Um, I find that it's, you know, I do dedicate time in the morning. So we, we do a huddle every morning with everybody and then we have a longer meeting once a week. Um, but then if it's in the middle of my day and I'm like in clinic mode, if I have one of my team members that comes in and wants to talk about something, and it's, it might not be a, a big issue or it might be an issue where um, they want to just mention something that's going on, I, I, I have to consciously, because it's not my attitude of like uh, stopping, turning around in my chair, you know, like giving them the attention, even though it's like totally disrupting my thought process and my mindset. But my, my natural instinct is, and this is what I'm asking you if there, I don't know what the answer is, but one of mine is, is that my natural instinct is to listen and try to keep, you know, try to keep doing what I'm doing. And I, I need to at those times, I realize I got to stop, pull back and, and actually listen to what they're saying. Is that common? Yeah, that does take it, it, it is common. I mean, that does take time. And some of the advice that we give leaders, you know, regardless of whether they're leading a private practice or in different industries and whatnot, um, is that awareness. So you're, you're aware that you're being taken out of your, your, whatever you're working on. It's taking your attention away so you can have this effective conversation with this person that's disrupting your day, right? Um, so number one, kind of having that awareness that this is happening. Number two, kind of create some boundaries with that individual. Say, you know, I, I really want to address your, your, your question, your challenge, or dig into this with you right now. Um, uh, I have five minutes, so can you bottom line that for me is one way that, that you can have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Or say, you know what, it looks like this conversation is going to necessitate some more time. Right now, I'm really in clinic right now, and I, I have uh, only a couple minutes to spare. This needs more time than that, so can you come back to me? Um, at the end of the day and just give them that timeline where they can revisit that where you both have the headspace to address it.